And now it's time on Flame CCR to take a look behind the studio's green door to find out who is in today's chat room. Midnight, one more night without sleeping. Watching till the morning comes creeping. Green door, what's that secret you're keeping? And now, are you listening? Well, welcome to the chat room. It's me, Norman. I'm a privileged person because through all of these interviews, I meet so many interesting people. And uh, I met Andrew not very many weeks ago through one of our new contacts in Flame. And he's described to me where he's at with life at the moment. And uh, to be honest, I'm fascinated. I wish him well in all the things that he's trying to do. So, Andrew, you're living in Chester. You're enjoying a British summer, which is a little bit unusual mm-hmm. in terms of its weather. Filling your time with various things, but it's almost as though you're on hold waiting for what's next. Is that about right in terms of where you're at? Yes, that's true. For the last two and a half years, we've actually been expecting to get back to China because we worked as missionaries there for ten and a half years and COVID ended that suddenly because people were beginning to get locked up in complexes and we decided to come back to England, let it all blow over and then pop back a couple of months later and carry on with our part-time university teaching. But that didn't happen. Well, no, because I can actually remember seeing the coaches bring people from the airport actually to Wirral Hospital Hmm. because Wirral Hospital was one of the places where British people from China were actually quarantined. Mm -hmm. I can still remember being amused by the fact that the name on the side of the coaches was Horseman. I don't know if you remember that. I remember the coach, but I don't remember the name. Ah, right. Yes, it was Horseman, which is actually a major coach firm down in the um, Swindon sort of area. But we were beginning to think, hang on, the horsemen of the apocalypse (laughs) and pandemics, what is happening to us? My wife Beryl and I were very interested because actually the place at Arrow Park Hospital where they were quarantining people is a mile away from where we live. And so it was basically coming to our doorstep and we were thinking, what is happening? What is going to happen? How does it fit into the whole greater scheme of things, God? What is happening in the world? And oh, you felt intensely sorry for people with the television reports that were beginning to emerge about quarantining in China. So you were caught up in all of that and had to live in the middle of it and make your minds up what to do. Yeah, well, actually, what happened was January 2020, CAF popped back to England anyway, because it was between the two semesters at the university. So I was on my own in the flat, and I used to watch the news every day in China, the English news, Chinese news, but in English. And um, suddenly it came on about the wet market in Huanan, and China was owning this, actually. This has happened in China, and we are going to report this to the world and everything. 
but it had actually spread already because it was a Chinese New Year and people had already travelled all over the world and um, spread this disease throughout the world before they started to lock people down in China. There were cases where I was doing mission work and I thought, I'm going to be locked up in this complex. I need to get out as soon as possible. So I literally booked a plane for the next day and zoomed out, expecting it to blow over. I had no idea that it was going to be as it was and last so long and spread throughout the whole world. And that just gradually unfolded over the months. People realised how serious it was. So you made a very wise choice in actually getting a plane. Yes. Because that became not very easy over yeah. time. Yeah. So you got very fast at the beginning of the queue. Fortunately, your wife was already here in England. Yes. And that, in a way, somebody was planning that, let's put it that way. Come on, let's be honest about this. We're Christians and we're following Mm. God Mm. and we let God lead us Mm. in what we're doing. And God does do things. Sometimes which are strange, Mm. but then we see why. And so your wife was here in England. So you were able, basically, to grab a toothbrush and go, as it were. That's right. And I didn't bring enough stuff back. So we've been frantically trying to get people to go into our flat, the university flat, to sort through papers and send certificates back. We've only just started doing this now because we're always hoping to get back there. But, yeah, at the time I left China, I didn't know to what extent this pandemic would affect the whole world. But I did have a sense that there's something very serious here. If I am locked up in this flat, I'm away from my wife, I'm away from my children and my family, and I can't do any mission, I can't do any evangelism, I can't see anybody. In China, you can't do Bible teaching and evangelism and pastoral work very easily online because it's monitored. So it's very much a face-to-face ministry. So I thought it's absolutely pointless being here. It's holiday. Most of the people we know have all gone to their relatives' houses because of the Spring Festival. So that's what they do in China. They go all over the world to see their relatives. You can't do the same work you can do during the normal term time. Yeah, so it was definitely a good decision. And if I hadn't come back, I may not have been able to come back for many, many months because of the various lockdowns. And the lockdowns are still actually carrying on. Yeah, we've been teaching online for the last two and a half years. We've not renewed a contract for September now, so that's a bit of a blank canvas. But throughout that time, there's been various lockdowns. So sometimes when we've been doing video teaching live with the students, they've been in their dormitory or they've been at home because they've not been allowed to travel back to university. So the students have had a really rough time. This last academic year has been really hard for the university students. And you say that they are actually able to access the online teaching because you said earlier on that that was monitored and controlled yeah so this is the secular side of the teaching so so when you're face to face with the chinese in china and especially at christmas and easter time you can very easily get the gospel across i never had any flack from the university about that it's under the guise of culture so under culture you can talk about religious things as an academic topic but you could get away with having like a Christmas party, so you'll have the Christmas message. I've even done the nativity with the students where they've acted out the story. You can do that face to face. 
but you can't do any of that online because it will be picked up. Right. So that's been a frustrating thing. We've wanted to get back and do the work there. And so we've been doing the secular teaching. But I have got books published out there. In all of the books I've had published in China, they're available in all the shops. There's elements of the gospel in there that I can call upon when we're doing the workbooks online. So we have been able to do some. So, for example, they might be doing a parable. So they might do about the Good Samaritan. So they have to read the Good Samaritan. And we say this was written by Jesus. And so we can get little things in that won't be stopped. But we are limited to some extent. We can't pray with them, which we can when we're face to face. Yeah, Okay. So you're in England, you're doing online things with people out there in China Mm. by the university. You said that you're not quite sure what's next, Mm. so that's an interesting, challenging situation.
let's flip back to the past then. How did you actually get to that sort of point? What were your early Christian influences? I became a Christian when I was 18, and I'm very thankful for that time. I was at Scarborough Sixth Form College, and there was a Christian union, and actually a non-Christian friend of mine invited me to the Christian union. She didn't go. As a result of that, I began to meet with the Christians regularly and argue with them against the Bible. But within a few months, I'd decided to give my heart to Christ, and um, it was an incredible time for me. I eventually became the Christian Union leader in the following academic year. But there were Christians from different denominations, which was great. Got involved in an independent Pentecostal church, and they were really on fire for God. It was a small church, but we used to just meet all the time. We used to love talking about the Lord. We used to pray together for any needs we had or pray for other people. We used to ask God for a word, for a prophetic word. And it was a really good beginning to my Christian life. At one point, we'd pray anywhere. And once I was given a lift home, and um, as we often did, I was praying with my friend who'd given me a lift home and um, had a really strong touch of the Holy Spirit at that moment. I was still 18, so it was just laughing. I couldn't stop laughing, and I had this joy inside. And strangely enough, from that point on, reading the Bible wasn't a chore. It was something that I really enjoyed, and I felt the Bible opened up to me. I could understand it. And travelling on as a Christian throughout all these years, I'm convinced a teaching gift was given to me at that point, which, of course, God has developed by the Holy Spirit over the years. But uh, that love of the Scriptures has always been there. In regard to China, the idea of going to China didn't come until I met my wife when I was 20. I was a youth leader at the time, and she was from an Assembly of God church who happened to join in with the youth group from time to time. Well, we fell in love, and God brought us together. When I got to know Cathy, and we realised that God was bringing us together and we should get married, we had various questions, should we, shouldn't we? And one of the questions was, am I called to China? Because she already had a calling to China. And she'd already worked as a missionary in Hong Kong and uh, taken Chinese Bibles into China. Hong Kong was a very different place then. British then. 
Because, yeah. I mean, you're talking about late 1980s. It was 1980, 81. Early so 1980s, yes. Yeah. And China had only just opened up, so hence... And Hong Kong was a big, thriving, bustling, yeah. very European place. I had a week there in 74. It was an interesting experience working there. So actually, you and I have actually got something in common because mm-hmm. we've both been youth leaders of a Pentecostal church yeah. in our very early 20s. So it's always good to meet somebody with a similar sort of background. And I can understand the sudden experience of the Holy Spirit, which I suppose in my mind I could use the phrase swept off my feet. Mm-hmm. That was my experience. And from what you say, it sounds a little bit like it. But also when God does call somebody and bless them in such a way, God often has a purpose of what he actually wants to achieve. I've talked to many, many people who have basically said from then onwards, A, I was a different person, and B, I sort of knew long term what God really wanted me to do. And there was some particular area, place, etc., that, to use a very Christian expression, God laid on my heart. So in that situation, God laid on your heart, China, and also put you close to somebody else in a partnership mm-hmm. with a very strong Chinese yeah. situation. So you and Kathy, your wife? Yes, that's right felt that China was on the roadmap, as it were. Yeah, and it was 30 years, really, before we moved there. We always thought it was imminent to go back to China, but we literally had to wait all that time. Obviously, we prayed about it all the time. We often met with missionary societies, should we go, should we not go? And it always felt that it wasn't the time. But in that 30 years, you didn't sit around and waste your time. You got on and did something. Yeah, we went to Bible college together after our second child. I really enjoyed studying Greek and Hebrew. Loved that. Silly you than me. (laughs) Just the desire to get deeper into the scriptures because if there's a difficult passage, you know why the translations have translated it slightly differently, which is the best, and some of the tricky passages. So it's very useful. So I went to Bible college, and then after Bible college, again we were thinking, should we go overseas? But God seemed to shut the door again to that it wasn't the right time and uh, we ended up working for a village mission society called FEBV Fellowship for Evangelising Britain's Villages and we were working with them full time for about 15 years working in the villages in Norfolk and Cumbria uh-huh. That was called what? FEBV, Fellowship for Evangelising Britain's Villages. Uh-huh. It used to be Friends Evangelistic Band way in the past, and it was an evangelical Quaker movement, and then it became interdenominational evangelical Yes. before we joined. I've known people in the past, and my son's worked with people who take a trailer and set Mm. it up on the village green and do a sort of evangelistic type of service. Yeah, that's the FEBV days, they did that. You were based in a village and you had a 10 to 20 mile radius in which to work, work alongside the other churches, any denomination, or just do evangelism and mission. Uh I've did so many different things with so many different uh, churches and independently. Great experience. It was good. Big yeah. challenge as well. It was a challenge. Good training ground for, for the future for things. And then because God doesn't waste time. I mean, you no. say that it was 30 years before. Yeah. 
but in that 30 years God puts a tremendous amount of learning experiences mm. into people yeah we don't realize just the value of what we're going through at the moment and how that will relate to something that we're going to hit in the future mm. But 30 years is a long time. It is. And all through that time, it was like, oh, when are we going to China? When will we get to China? And, you know, <laughs> a slow boat thinking, to China. oh, have we misheard? And, and so on. And having to make sure you value the work that you're doing in the meantime. Yes. But we always felt on hold. We always thought, oh, maybe in a couple of years. Just like the last two and a half years, we've been thinking, oh, maybe in a couple of months China will open up again and we can get another visa and go in. And the same sort of frustration that we've got now. Well, the um, hunger is still there. And there needs to be a hunger, doesn't yeah. there? Because when you go and do these things, you will hit so much opposition and so many difficulties that you need to have the milestones behind you that mm. you know we're on the right road. Mm. We might not see the future, but we've been through these milestones. We're on the right way. We're in the right place. And you'll get there. Perhaps even another 10 years and you'll come back to England and sit and do an update. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> yeah, that would be good. launching out and going to China and that was basically picking up a secular job at the university what happened was we had plenty of time to plan and uh, my wife Kathy was already a secondary school teacher so she would sometimes work full-time sometimes supply sometimes part-time over the decades but I started out as a chef before I went to Bible college, but I didn't really enjoy that and didn't want to do that. So after Bible college, we knew that we couldn't get to China legitimately with um, a Bible college qualification. So it was always on the cards that I may go into teaching. And I didn't have a bachelor's degree either. So later on in life, so probably in my 30s, I did an open university degree part-time over six years so that I could then, after that, get a teaching qualification and then I would have the qualifications to get a job in China because you can only get there by being a student or having a job. And teaching was very much in our blood. So I did an open university degree part-time, then I did a PGCE to be a primary school teacher. And then I worked three years full-time as a primary school teacher just before we went to China. 
So I was well established, uh, had experience, had the qualifications, and there wasn't a problem getting a university job. And also, we'd heard many testimonies of people who have been to China, and uh, we were impressed by one lady from OMF who was saying that she was a teacher, and she had many opportunities to share the gospel with the students. And uh, that's something that we found to be true. We decided to become university teachers part-time. We would have a regular income to be able to live there, regardless of any gifts we might receive from churches who were praying for us. We would have guaranteed regular income and um, an audience to spread the word with. And in the rest of the time, we wanted to do other evangelism, but also orphanage work, because we'd done a lot of orphanage work in the years prior to living in China. We'd gone to China in the summer holidays as part of ICC teams to go into Hunan province to do lots of work with the orphanage. So when you say orphanage work, what type of work within the orphanage? Care or was that teaching? That's mostly care, but we could teach a little bit about Jesus, but it was usually the team members from Hong Kong who could do that more effectively. We did lots of singing, we did lots of Christian songs in English as well, but we did get the message across in various ways. But the primary job was to give the care and to play games with the children, spend time with the children, value them, do lots of group games and activities. We did that for several years, and the last couple of years we took our two youngest children with us. And my son in particular was really moved by a TV documentary programme about the plight of Chinese children in an orphanage. And from the point of watching that documentary in England, he always wanted to go to China and help these children. And our son, Josh, was with us all the time we were in China, and he did orphanage work all the time throughout that period, as well as the other type of stuff that we're doing. So some of that is related to Bible teaching. The majority of it is about providing care and giving them life experiences, helping them with cooking, lots of sports activities, and educational ones. The orphanages, are they state orphanages? So these are the state orphanages. So we tended to go in on the back of ICC because we had a good relationship with them and they would allow us to go in and we would take Chinese students in as well. So these are into the state orphanages. Obviously you have to be very careful. You can't do just whatever you like because you're being watched. Every year we would take a group of Chinese students into an orphanage in a province for a whole week where we had access through this Western charity that had a contract with the state orphanage. And we would prepare our Chinese students very well and we would prepare all the activities and resources, educational activities appropriate for the different educational needs and physical needs. So you had children with Down syndrome, autism, CP, um, lots of learning difficulties, and all ages as well, from the babies right through to the young adults. And so we prepared lots of activities. We would go to and fro from the orphanage to work with the leaders, the director there, through a translator, through one or two of the staff that would be a link. And we would have a fully established timetable and programme so that we would do these activities in certain slots 
and we would take them out on trips. We would take them to the supermarket in several batches that normally don't get out of the orphanage. So we would take them out in the wheelchairs and uh, various other support mechanisms. Our Chinese students were trained in how to deal with this. We would talk about the products on the shelves of the supermarket. They would have a shopping list in Chinese. Always have a supporter. You'd have a supporter with two to four children. So at least one supporter with two to four children. And it would be an educational experience and a life skill experience. Then they would gather all this stuff and we'd all come back together as a group. We'd go to a KFC or a Burger King or something and have ice cream and stuff. Then go back to the orphanage and then the next day they will use all that food to cook like Kung Pao chicken, something like that, or sandwiches. Various different dishes we did over the years. And so the children would experience the whole process of planning, buying and then making the food. And again, that was very, very well structured according to the needs of the children. Lots and lots of stuff like this. We'd even just take them to the cinema and we'd hire a whole cinema room so they could all watch a suitable film. Sounds very, very well organised, sounds very caring. And I was contrasting in my mind other people who I've known who have been into Romania Mm and uh, now into Ukraine with the orphanages there Mm. where the children not exactly helped in that type of way at all. Sounds good and a great opportunity because presumably how you gain fluency in Chinese as well. I'm not fluent in Chinese. I can speak a little bit, just introductory conversations like uh, where do you work, where do you live and about your children and what they do. But then if it gets more complicated, I'm stuck. Whereas my son is fluent in Chinese and he's now teaching in a secondary school in England. Because he also came back with his wife, Jenny. Obviously, he was grieving over China as they were both grieving over China as much as us. But they were more pragmatic, they were younger, and they thought they'll start careers in the UK while this is going on. So they took the opportunity, and they're both involved in their careers now. And it only took two and a half years. It's brilliant how it worked out. God's really in there, and they're really involved in their local church, which is great. So he's now teaching Chinese in a secondary school in England, and there aren't a whole mass of jobs in that field. So, yeah, he's really blessed to get that opportunity. And they hope to go back abroad in the future, whether it's China or even Myanmar. You know, they have a heart for Myanmar. Mm-hmm. But I'm not fluent. Uh, my wife, Cathy, is definitely not fluent. Uh-huh. It's a very difficult language. I'm sure one of the Flame team has been out in a missionary situation teaching and so on, teaching English, and he describes his inability to do much mm. more than order something in McDonald's. Mm. Interesting you refer to McDonald's and KFC and yeah. so on. There's a lot of very Western influences out right. there, as well as, I'm sure, some very good Chinese restaurants. It's very common to just go out to a Chinese restaurant because it's very cheap if you go to one of the smaller restaurants, yes. and they do that all the time. Whereas if we eat out, it's... Uh, a huge expense but uh, McDonald's was a lifesaver we used to do a lot of our planning our preparation there if we wanted to get out of the flat we'd just buy a coffee and then you could get a free coffee refill we really missed that routine of just nipping out to McDonald's around the corner and it gave us a taste of the west I suppose in a way 
and they were well looked after. The McDonald's were very clean in China, actually, and um, it was a bit of a haven. Yes, I'm grateful for the McDonald's. We've done some prayer meetings in McDonald's, meeting up with friends early in the morning, and you can have a coffee and sit and chat around a table in McDonald's in a very relaxed way. So that's good. So Andrew, as well as all of this teaching and these times in England in mission work in the villages and eventually getting out towards China and so on, you seem to be a writer. I've come across a number of books that you've said you've written. Mm -hmm. Where did the writing start? Was that sort of in the early school type days or has that developed more lately? Developed shortly after I became a Christian really my love of the bible and i noticed there were a lot of controversial issues among christians or potentially controversial like speaking in tongues uh, heaven and hell i came across a lot of christians who were doubting the existence of hell and various other doctrinal issues the trinity because i met jehovah witnesses and then i had to look into the scriptures to check that the trinity was real and just my searching of the scriptures i had this burning desire to write it down sort it out get the passages together analyze it pray about it and i started to write booklets on these various topics even a topic like head covering all of these things just for myself and to get them photocopied and give them to whoever wanted them that was probably the beginning 
Um, also, my love of eschatology in the last days, I started to do my own writing in connection with that, trying to sort that out, sorting and sifting through the Bible to try and work out what the Bible is saying about the future rather than just rely on authors, other teachers, other speakers and so on. So that began, which has now, um, over the many years, has culminated in the book called The Culmination of All Things, which is on Amazon Kindle the whole topic of eschatology covering all the Bible passages that are clearly about the future. So that began a long time ago, probably when I was 20 or so. Yes, because if you grew up in a Pentecostal church, taking my own background, I can remember many, many Sunday evening, three quarters of an hour on hard church pews, trying to keep awake and trying to follow a very dry preacher who was going into lots of detail on eschatology. Very few people that I can remember seem to make it really interesting, apart from one particular person. I sat under the ministry of W.G. Hathaway for quite some time, mm. and he seemed to know and understand a lot of things. Mm. Passed on down to David, his son David Hathaway, and I do remember in my young 20s looking at the world situations. I can remember the Seven Days War. I can remember various other things happening and all of the questions that people were asking. Is this really the end? Is this really the end? And people are still asking the question, is this really mm. the end, aren't they? Mm. I'm not sure what answers nowadays we get to. So your analytical wanting to understand, coupled with your love of the Bible and diving in and working it all out in your mind then sprouted into writing it down so that other people could actually follow on yeah it's a good way yeah and also i started to write for reach out trust at that time this is quite a while ago i used to talk a lot to people from different sects and cults and things like jehovah witnesses mormons christadelphians because of their understanding of doctrine was obviously different and often opposed to the bible and so that would lead me to study the scriptures more so i did a lot of writing for reach out trust as well in their magazines and because of my love of true doctrine i suggested writing some articles about doctrine so i did one or two on the trinity making reference to jehovah witnesses and why they don't believe in it and so on pointing out from the scriptures the truth of the trinity in various topics like this and all of this obviously built up my book on the culmination of all things about eschatology as well because a lot of my appendices at the back discuss some of these issues come from all these studies through me interacting and witnessing to people from these various sects like Jehovah's Witnesses. So I found that very helpful, actually, challenging and helpful. And also, when I was writing The Culmination of All Things, originally I called it Approaching the Last Days. I think there's another book with that title, actually, so it was a bit pointless keeping that one, but that was what it was called originally. And I used to do brief storylines in between the textual analysis. And uh, from those storylines developed a novel while I was in China. So while I was in China, I literally wrote a novel to do with the last days, to do with the build-up towards the second coming of Christ and the terrible things that are going to happen globally leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I actually got that published in China, and it's been used by many thousands of students. So that's been very helpful. 
Yes, actually, since we met last time and I chased you for some information as to what these books actually are, I suppose it was probably just over a week ago I found on Amazon the Kindle version of this novel and uh, downloaded it. Congratulations, because I think it's probably the first book I've actually read all the way through in many, many, many years. I'm not a book reader. I don't like reading fiction for particular reasons. Non-fiction I will study, particularly in my trade, work experience and all the technical stuff that we have to sort of make ourselves aware of. So this was different. I got through it, (laughs) hastened, I might say, by the fact that we were going to sit down today. And I, I set myself the challenge that I wanted to look you straight in the face and say, yes, and I've read that book. Good. Yeah, perhaps I will at some time say a little bit of my feelings towards it. In general, if somebody else said to me, you've read that book, Norman, should I? I would say yes, because I think it would do people a lot of good. And I did notice your bits in bold at the end of the chapter, which helped Mm. the narrative along and helped me to understand where I was in the greater flow of the story. There are a number of different storylines of different people. I'm always amazed by the clever way in which authors seem to weave these storylines through the whole of a book and you gradually learn information from them and they come back in the next chapter and something else happens and in the next chapter something else happens. Tremendous Mm. amount of planning going into the book. It's not just sit down and write from the beginning. Mm. And yes, by and large, I was quite happy with most of the storylines. I've got one or two odd questions that I would probably ask of you at some time or other, but uh, it was a good read. A frightening read, to be honest, if I might actually say. Can we talk a little bit yeah, about sure. that? Yeah, I'll explain the way the book's laid out. The structure of the book is in bite-sized chunks so that it can be used for teaching. For example, the first chapter is a conversation between a Chinese person and an English person. So this is very useful for teaching, correcting the English that the Chinese person is using. This is similar in the third chapter. Because it's a global thing, this build-up to the second coming, although we have Michelle and Chris, who are the main characters, I have to introduce some other significant characters. So it's a bit choppy, but the Chinese like this. It's been described to me as all these exciting little stories as you go along. And in regard to one of the gruesome bits is uh, this disease called cod eye disease, because diseases and pandemics is one element of the last days. And there's this disease that does terrible things to your face and makes you look really horrifying. When I said frightening... I did find it frightening, in a way, not to the point of I didn't want to read any more, but it's not a cheerful read in any way. What did strike me much so was that down through the years, we've come across circumstances. I mean, I mentioned the Seven Day War. There have been other circumstances, the Cuban Missile Crisis and other circumstances, and even COVID itself, where a lot of Christians have said, oh, you know, the Lord is about to come. Mm. And yes, I completely understand that sentiment. I think there can be a tendency and almost a danger 
for people to look for the Lord's coming as a way of, this is hard and difficult, we want to get out of it. Mm. But the Bible never says that we're going to have life easy. The Bible says there will be tribulation Mm. and people will face tribulation. And you, in your stories, and the various different storylines of the different people, were reminding me that you might think this is bad, but you wait till the next chapter, Norman. Something even worse is going to happen. Mm. I suppose echoing through in my mind as I read it was the thought, hmm, we ain't seen anything yet, have we? Because you were talking about global things on a climate situation, on a disease situation, people who were antagonistic towards each Mm. other, a complete rearing up of angst between people. It's all in the scripture. Well, yes, because you said to me, you have researched it. Yes, I can understand because from the people who I've heard preaching on the subject, and I haven't, to be honest, picked up the Bible with a marker in my hand and gone through and marked all Mm. the bits. You've done that. Mm. I actually haven't. I've sat and listened to a number of people preaching, and I've read a few books, and I've seen one or two films, but they've been, in a way, a bit down the right line, but only a bit down the right Mm. line so i was interested and having done my first promise of next time i see andrew i'm going to make sure i can say to him yes i've downloaded the book on kindle and i've read it right the way through to the very end i won't give any spoilers as to what happens in the end Mm. you can if you want you're the author but it's not for me to say what happens in the end But I also think I must actually obtain somehow the culmination of all things book. I suppose you would say that's a non-fiction study book. And it's based on the scripture rather than speculating about different politicians that it could apply to or which country is going to do this or whether the Catholic Church is going to do that. Rather than doing that, it's focused completely on the scripture. Mm. There's some discussion about how it could happen in the process of understanding the passages and how they can interlock which is very much part of eschatology. But I've really not gone into the speculation because I've read so many books saying that um, this politician was the Antichrist and this was this and this was this. And, yeah, I can understand where they're going, but it actually doesn't completely fit with what the Scripture's telling. If something happens that is clearly mentioned in the Scripture without you manipulating it and changing the meaning of it, then fine, that's a sign. Otherwise, you know, there's a lot of speculation and often been wrong until now, especially trying to work out the Antichrist and work out what 666 means. So I focus deliberately on the scripture, how it interlocks a possible chronology of events. It's the only one I can figure out when I take all of the passages together. The way I've worked that out in the culmination of all things over the decades, really, I can't see any other way of putting these passages together and believing the literal parts literally. Everybody has their opinion of this in a sense. But other writers, they might be certain about a certain interpretation of a group of passages and slotting them together. 
but in the process of slotting those together, they've not considered how that then doesn't fit with another passage. The other passage would contradict their conclusion. And that's because they've fallen into the trap of making things too symbolic. So where the passages are clearly literal, even if they're given in a vision, they're literal visual things that are going to happen in the future. They need to be accepted as literal. And the parts where the Bible says something is a sign, then you take it as a sign and you interpret the symbolism. And I think culmination of all things is consistent throughout. It doesn't switch from one to another. It's very faithful to the aim, which is very clearly set out in the introduction. To believe it literally, unless the Bible itself implies otherwise. I will answer that one when I have read read it. it. I do take the challenge, having got through the novel only two evenings ago, Mm. I will take the next challenge and say, I'm going to have a go at getting and going through culmination of all things. Because actually, inherently, I am interested. I'm interested in politics. I'm interested in world situations. I'm an engineer. The engineer in me wants to know how things tick and what holds what together and what it's going to actually do. I'm not so interested in the arguments and the debates, but I like to analyse and apply a lot of logic in my Mm. mind, a logical analysis. I'll see how it holds up. Mm. Years ago, I felt by God I was called to go and work in a Bible college and help control their students' databases and things. So I decided to take the opportunity of studying one of their courses And I went down through the list of all the various courses that they had, different ones put together in different ways, came to a certain university accreditation, etc, etc. The only one that really fascinated me was eschatology. So I did spend a year doing the correspondence course of eschatology, just basically to learn their product and learn how they coped with students and how they coped with me. I found that a very interesting experience. I've forgotten a lot of it. But uh, I've still got the book at home, so I might even flop back to that and Mm -hmm. uh, see what that actually says. But I've always been interested in uh, where we are going. But you've got to always give God the benefit of the doubt and allow God to come up with some surprises. Covid was a surprise to people. There are other surprises still around the corner, whether that's global warming, whether it's other things that might happen in the future, like electromagnetic warfare and things like that. There are lots and lots of things. Like I said, we ain't seen nothing yet. It could get a lot more difficult. Mm, sure. But will. all I know is that even right through to the very end, we can trust God mm-hmm. and place the faith of ourselves and our families in his hands, and he will help us through. And that's all part of the we can trust God, and that's the real important thing. And God knows what he's doing. I never, ever doubt that. And it is a happy ending. Even at the end of the culmination of all things, you will find that, based on scripture, it is very happy ending. The same with the novel, the series. And when you get to the last one, I need to write another one afterwards. When you get to Joanna's Daybreak, there's a lot more joy in that part, like Uh reunions and so on. But you can't diminish the reality of the horrors of the time when there's a battle at Armageddon, for example, where God destroys all the armies of the earth and preserves those within Jerusalem. 
It's horrendous, and uh, the descriptions are horrendous. I stood and looked at the plain of Armageddon, Mm. a huge, great area that could be the scene of a considerable battle. And then in conversation with somebody who is quite a friend of ours, who lives actually in Bethlehem, he said, oh yes, I went to Armageddon the other day. And uh, I said, oh yeah, great big place. Yes, he said, and we stopped at KFC in Armageddon. (laughs) And he sat in KFC in Armageddon. That's a nice bit of peace. You're glad that civilization has come to the plain of Armageddon. It will be quite a big unknown. So yes, I will read the book.
perhaps that's the point where we actually say let's leave that for next time I will be 
do to my people And they will blossom as the lily We've closed the chat room door, but please tune in next time to Flame CCR on 1521 Medium Wave for more from Green Door Studios chat room. Green Door!